0: This is the Kingdom Movement Podcast, a place where we will explore through conversation how discipleship, theology, and community really can transform our world. Some time later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are your blessings when I don't even have a son, since you've given me no children? Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir. For you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. So that was Genesis 15, verses 1 through 6. And it's basically the the starting promise of a man Um, named Abram, that God had made this promise to him that he was going to give um, descendants that would be as numerous as the stars, right? And this is kind of where we left off in the story. Um, And basically that God was going to call this person Abram. But we're going to back up a little bit. But before we do that, we do want to make some quick apologies. Last week or in our last podcast, we got the stories of um, the Tower of Babel and Noah mixed up in chronological order. So if you read your Bible and you go... That's not uh, in line with what they were talking about on the podcast. The same principles apply, but we accidentally flipped the story. I promise we prepare. <laughs> it's just a, an oversight. Um, and then the second apology is I'm suffering with a little bit of congestion during this recording. And so you'll have to bear with me if I sound obnoxious. I'm going to try and not clear my throat very much. But yeah, with that aside, I'm going to hand it over to Paulu to maybe kind of give us a summary Uh, what we talked about last Mm -hmm. week, and then where we're starting off today.
1: Yes. Uh, Thank you, Jake. I hope I don't get whatever you're having. (laughs) Uh, We're we're six feet? (laughs) nuts. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Jokes jokes aside. So, yeah, last week uh, we were just going through the the story of creation, and we started with this idea of love dance in the sense of um, the... The idea of trinity, you know, is this idea of uh, God split dividing himself into this tree, and then practicing love, and through that, the Father loving the Son through the Holy Spirit, and then with that idea, he brings the, the idea of the creation, and then he makes this beautiful place in seven days, and then he, he make these, he places this garden in the middle of this place, and then he makes him a man, and he give him the authority to reign and everything, but then. From there, we just see things going other way. Man deciding to do things, um, in his own way. And then from there, we see God trying to restore uh, the humanity, trying to restore the world, restore the world to the idea, to the same uh, intentions in the Genesis yeah. one.
0: No, that's great. Um, and I think as well, just to keep people in mind you know where the story is we've kind of gone through this whole narrative and like you've mentioned there's darkness there's sadness but now all of a sudden strangely enough it picks up and it there's this this man Mm -hmm. you know it kind of fast forwards it doesn't give us very many details but all of a sudden it just says here's this family right here's Mm -hmm. i think it even gives a list of descendants and then it starts with this family uh and and god begins to speak to them
1: yes exactly so we have um we when we we read the bible we to always remember the promise that god makes in, in genesis 3 after the fall you know he says like uh, there, uh, there will come this this guy who will be descended of the woman and then he will strike the, the snake you know and it, it will uh, uh, crush the snake's head and then snakes will bite, you know. So, this yeah. serves in a, as a hope, you know. So, where, how will that happen, you know? And yeah. I just feel like it connects straight to this man, you know, mm-hmm. who's who, who there. This man who the Bible doesn't say a lot of things about him, just talks about his mother, him living, and his mother and everything. But then God just called this man, you know, and then he makes this promise, I will bless your nation, yeah. you know, I will make your seed really, really bleak, and I, and I will make your name, you know, very famous, yeah. which is strictly direct to uh, to what was happening in the story before that, which is the story of, Bab- of, Be- of Babel, Babel Bab- yeah. Bebel, you know, which is this tower of people who are trying mm-hmm. to make their own name, you know, uh, yeah. stand out, you know. Yeah. So, the story is God calling, like, hey, I will make your name. So, it's mm-hmm. God making this guy's name, not uh, not himself, not him trying to make his name. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think
0: that follows the theme that we kind of talked about in last episode, is that God's intention is to work with humanity, but oftentimes, he has to work against humanity yes. to bring about his purposes. So, we get this guy named Abram, later to be Abraham, as most of us know him, or in Portuguese, Abraham. Abraham um, And so he basically the story picks up. There's a man named Terah, who is Abraham or Abraham's father and he moves to a land um, out of a city called Ur Ur at the time was a part of the, like the Sumerian kingdom Mesopotamia, you know for the average Joe that doesn't really matter for the the Bible nerds like me I like that type of stuff, but Sumeria in general and Ur specifically was one of the biggest urban centers of that time Mm -hmm. it was the city one actually they say archaeologists one of the first actual legitimate like city cities and so abraham is a metropolitan man he's not of his day obviously um he's not like some country bumpkin by any means as they would think of it and so you have this urbanite person moving their whole family moving um And God is calling them, but they stop, right? They don't get all the way to to Canaan where God is calling them. And eventually his father, Terah, dies. And so, you you know, the the biblical narrative isn't specific on if God was calling Terah, but we just know that he didn't go all the way, right? He didn't get to Canaan. But God, um, this God named eventually we'll know as Yahweh, begins to speak to this man, Abram, and he says, I'm calling you to go. I'm calling you to leave the comfort of everything you know, and I'm calling you to go to Canaan. And at this point, most biblical scholars of the Old Testament believe that Abraham was probably a uh, polytheist. He believed in multiple gods. He believed um, in the gods of his homeland. But somehow, way, this specific god, this Yahweh, has spoken to Abraham in a way that is um, convincing and convicting enough to leave everything that he knows to to be obedient, right? Um, And we don't get all those details, right, of why or how he's convinced, but he says, okay. And I think that's important for us to understand that God, at this point in history, a lot has happened. Thousands of years have gone by. And so, you know, Abraham is getting revelation of who God is little by little. So it starts off with just kind of like a, okay, you know, whoever this God is, like, I guess I'm going to step out and trust him to the point where, you know, as we'll see later on in the narrative, Abraham really has given his everything to this God and has recognized that this is really the only true God to follow. Um, but, in the story, Abraham packs up, he takes his nephew Lot with him, and they go to what later will be called the Promised Land, and from there, I'm gonna hand it off to you, maybe of what, maybe some of that happens, maybe explain the whole situation with Lot, um, a guy named Melchizedek, and then, you can even take us up to maybe Sodom and Gomorrah, yeah? Oh,
1: okay. Oh, that's. <laughs> I'm giving you a lot, eh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I feel like. Uh, but, so yeah, God calls this guy, and um, as you were saying, and they go to. They they move out and him and his cousin and then but then it gets to this point where they 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 can't be together you know because remember God just called Abraham, you know and then he just decided to take this guy with him you know so you get to this point where they can't uh, be together and I just feel like you were more like. Um, name, places, name, and more like into that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I am into the big picture mm. where you kind of dive a little bit deeper into yeah. the particular so, part. Of it. I think
0: basically what happens, I, I honestly I would have to have it open in front of me, um, but they get there, right? And Lot and Abraham recognize, okay, our fields aren't going to work out. I think they're shepherds getting an argument mm-hmm. over a specific well. And Abraham, being the gentleman that he is, says, okay, Lot, you can pick whatever one, whatever Maybe side of this wonderful. valley that you want. And of course he picks the nice one and Abraham gets the not as nice one, but again, God promises him, I'm going to take care of you, right? Um, so then we get into Lot essentially gets captured by uh, some one of the local warlords or bandits or whatever. And Moses mounts a rescue. He kills all these dudes, gets his nephew back, mm-hmm. and Basically, these other kings that were having an issue come to him and Moses says, no, I'm not going to share any of this stuff with you because, you know, like he recognized the political situation. These people were trying to get um, political ties or hooks into him. And he says, really, this is the Lord's, right? I'm not going to get into bed with these guys, basically. Um, And then strange, we get the story about a guy named Melchizedek, which is uh, where he is Salem, will later become Jerusalem. Um, But it's not Jerusalem at the moment. And he is a priest king. We don't know really very much about him. The author of Hebrews takes this idea up because Abraham basically uh, becomes a subordinate and receives blessing from him as a recognition of Yahweh, right? Mm -hmm. So then um, the story kind of fast forwards and then we get to this point where we just read at the very beginning this verse in Genesis where God is giving a promise. And essentially what God does is he says, I'm going to do this for you. And then later he comes to Abraham and he says, see that I want you to cut up a a three-year-old heifer or calf. So Abraham does it, and it's like this really weird thing. It gets dark, and there's this flaming pot that passes between the different pieces. And if you don't know the culture, you're like, what is happening here, right? Like, what is the point of all this? But what that ritual was, was whoever, if there was a covenant to be made, Normally, both parties would pass through the bull and it would be a symbol of what if I break my covenant with you, let what has happened to this heifer or this calf happen to me. Mm -hmm. So basically, let me be chopped up into pieces and killed. Um, But God puts Abraham to sleep and passes through himself and basically fulfills both ends of the covenant. And he says, if I don't do what I say I'm going to do, I will be cut up in half right Mm -hmm. so God is making this extreme promise putting himself almost in the role of a subordinate to Abraham that I if I break my promises let this be done to me Um, and so you know obviously Abraham I'm sure for him that was quite the revelation of who this God was and so he moves forward with these promises of having a son, right? So, sorry, I kind of hijacked what I asked you to. <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> but uh, we get to this point then where it's, uh, he's promised children, right? And it's still not happening, at least in his own timing. So Abraham does what most of us do. We have bypassed a lot. There's a part where he goes to Egypt and lies to yeah. Pharaoh and says, this is my sister instead of his wife, blah, blah, blah. But we're trying to expedite this a little bit because we have a lot to cover. Um, But basically, we get to this point where Abraham uh, wants a kid, right? Mm -hmm. Like, how are these promises? Like he said in this verse, God, Mm -hmm. you haven't given me a kid, so how are you supposed to fulfill these promises? So he does what a lot of us do, um, and what this whole biblical story has been saying up to this point, which Mm -hmm. is, um, you know, man trying to bring about God's purposes by their own means. Uh, and so maybe you can tell us what happens next.
1: Oh, yes. Uh, so Abraham and his, his wife, um, they, can ha- they can't have kids. And then it just like, oh, man, I'm, I'm getting older and older. And yeah. then the wife, he's like, oh, well, this guy needs to have a, 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 a son, you know, to just take, uh, continue with the promise that God made to this man. So what happened is they take God's promise, the promise that God made to their life, you know, mm-hmm. and a so like, okay, we, we can try to help God, you know. <laughs> yes. we, that's a great way to say it. We can try and help God mm-hmm. with what he's exactly. trying to do, you you know. know? Yeah. So if, if it's not working with us, we can maybe bring someone mm-hmm. else, you know, who can uh, make, uh, fulfill this promise, you know. So in that, you know, uh, Abram wives you know makes him sleep with the slave and then they have these uh, this son which was gonna start a really big conflict you know and then it's gonna end not in a yeah. good way at least for the the other family you know but God big be, become faithful in uh, first he humbles him you know yeah. uh, and just making him realize like this son it's not a property, You know, it's not something that is yours, you know. But if I ask you to give it to me, you know, mm. you'll you have to be able to open yourself and be humble enough to do that. Yeah.
0: And I think with Ishmael, which is the, the son mm-hmm. that's born from um, the maidservant. I, wow, I'm blanking on her name right now. Do you remember the name? Um, Ishmael's mom. You can look it up if you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyways, what I find super fascinating about this is God basically tells Abraham, he says, This isn't the child of my promises. So Mm -hmm. there are certain things that I'm going to accomplish. I gave you these promises, Abraham. And this child, Ishmael, is not the child that these promises will be fulfilled from. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we can kind of look at that and be like, well, that's kind of cruel. But the reality is that Ishmael was born from man's attempt to to do what God was asking asking Abraham to trust him in. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't an act of trust. It was an act of... In a sense disobedience but god in his mercy takes disobedience and promises that he will still bless ishmael Mm -hmm. right he won't be the promised child but abraham is not to mistreat him and sarah at this point is mistreating the servants and i think that's another really important point is that when we look at our own lives just like these are real people right Mm -hmm. real family drama that they thought oh this will be a creative solution to our our god problem if you will but in reality, by taking it into their own hands, they created more issues for themselves. Mm-hmm. Sarah became jealous. She mistreated yeah. the servant, which in turn turns Ishmael into someone who's an adversary to his brother. Mm-hmm. And so you get this whole family drama that is not God's fault by yeah. any means. It's, it's born from a lack of trust that God mm-hmm. can provide, which is, again, the whole theme and thread that's been happening. Did you find that? Oh, there? yeah, it's Hagar. Hagar, yes. Yeah. So eventually, Abraham is told, you know what? Uh, is not going to work. Sarah's not, you know, willing to have Hagar, especially now that they're... So, sorry, yes, uh, we're skipping ahead, and then we'll come back. But Isaac is the promised child. He is born. God does provide this baby miraculously through Sarah, who's old. Um, but Hagar's uh, son, Ishmael and Isaac, are just not getting along. Sarah's not treating um, Hagar well. And so God sends them out. Yeah. And at one point, Hagar is in the desert, and... Puts Ishmael out to die basically because you know they're out of food, they've been traveling. But God provides a spring for them and He says, I will take care of you. Your son's going to be a wild man, but you know, I am going to provide for your family. You're still going to be numerous. So, God, even in the mistake, takes care of this family. What's super interesting, um, just a short side note, is the whole Islamic faith takes credit from the line of Ishmael, and Mm -hmm. in a way. Islam is kind of a in our belief and understanding a parody of Christianity in a way right because it has many many of the same claims but there are very um, nuanced differences that make all the difference and in a way it is a, a belief that we would say is born from you know uh, not a trust in God you get what I'm saying yeah. if you look down the genealogies now obviously someone who follows the, the faith of Islam would say something different, and they do claim that actually Ishmael was the person that God had chosen. You know what I'm saying? So anyways, that's a cap, or a, a side note, but getting back to the main narrative. So basically, God appears to Abraham again before Isaac is born mm-hmm. in the form of kind of like this stranger with two angels. Mm-hmm. And he meets him at his tent, Abraham is hospitable to him, and Sarah's kind of behind the scenes, and God says, you're gonna have a son. Next year, at this time, and Sarah kind of laughs, and God goes, Why are you laughing, Sarah? And yeah. she goes, I'm not laughing, you know. Like, um, but it's a realistic human moment, right? I, th- I feel like when you read the Bible for what it really is, these people are human beings exactly. that exactly, you know, see what God is telling them and think this is ludicrous, right? But basically, God has another mission in mind, which is another side plot in this narrative, and it's what's going on in two cities called Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm-hmm. So it's down in this valley, in the Jordan uh, River Valley, if you're in the geography. And at this point, the angels go down, and they basically want to rescue Lot and his family because God is going to bring destruction to these towns because of all the horrible, awful things that they're doing. Um, And so God does it. God rescues Lot. um, But his wife turns around,
1: turned a pillar of salt. Just, just to comment, that that story used to scare me <laughs> when I was kid. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I would read that. I was like, oh my God. Like, if yeah. I, I was just trying to put myself in his wife's position, I would I would look back. I was yeah. like, I'm too, you know, I'm too curious to look yeah. back. So I'm like, would God still, you know, kill me or become this statue? So I would be really scared about this story. But yeah. For sure. So anyways,
0: Lot... His daughters sleep with him in a cave. Really Mm -hmm. weird story. They're afraid you know, they're not going to be able to carry on the family name. Um, And I'm honestly blanking on why the Bible feels like it needs to tell us that. But it does tell us that. Um, But I think it's just the human drama of how broken humanity's situation is still, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But I think up to this point, uh, now God reaffirms those promises. The verse that we just read actually Mm -hmm. is at this point. Um, at the beginning and God is basically calling this man Abraham right Um, and this is hopefully give us a little bit more focus with the story of Abraham but God's solution to what is going on is that he is going to work through a human being and more specifically a human family Mm -hmm. to bring about his redemption and reconciliation to the world and now It's kind of a very murky picture Mm -hmm. when we first see the story of Abraham, but as the story develops you realize what God is doing. He's calling a specific people, not because they are special, not because Abraham is, you know, by any means, like, Morally superior to the rest no, of you, I feel like
1: the Bible just shows us how bad this guy yeah. is, too. You know, we're mm. just like, Oh, this girl, this, this this woman that I have, even though God promised me to have a family with him, but I'm, I'm afraid I don't want to die, yeah. so I'm just gonna say she's my sister, and I'm just gonna yes. give, give her to, to, to this king, you know, who wants to marry her. Mm. And one, I feel like what you were saying about the story of, so I don't know, I Sodom and say, Gomorrah, yes, uh, I feel like. It just brings that thing of just God wanting to partner with you, mm. with humans you know because God that goes to him and then he tells me I want to destroy this this place you know but then God's wow, open yeah. up a space for Abraham to come you know and kind of like we see and we, we will see this along the story you know just kind of human being coming and kind of changing yeah. God's mind you know yeah. so I just feel like maybe oh,
0: explain that story a bit more because yeah I totally skipped over that but I think it's really important
1: yeah so what happened is uh god says yeah you just want to destroy this 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 place and so they they start this conversation abram and 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 god you know and abram says oh god if there is this of this number of people and Will you still destroy the this number of people who are faithful? Will you still destroy the city? And then God said, No. Uh, if there is, if my, if I send people, then and they find there the number of people, mm. I won't destroy the city. Yeah. You know. And then Abraham was like, I'm sorry, God, but if you know, He reduces <laughs> slowly, start reducing yeah. the amount of people to get to where I feel like He had a goal, which is mm. I know how many, I know, I know who's there, you no know, law in yeah. his family, you know. So He wanted to get to that number, you know. Yeah. So so He slowly gets down. Know? And then God says, like, if I found this amount yeah. of people, you know, I, I will not I will not destroy, you know. So we just find this this kind of change of mind, you know, mm-hmm. that Abram coming and kind of influencing God and everything, you know. And then God ended up, like, taking these people, you know, yeah. because his plan was just to destroy. It's, they're faithful yeah. or not, it's just to destroy, you know. But you guys, you just see Abram is coming as this partner of God, like, uh, you know, and it kind of influences God's mind.
0: No, I think that that is a super good point. I'm glad you brought it up and we didn't skip over it because it is, it really is that God invites Abraham into the conversation, mm-hmm. almost like as if he knows what Abraham's yeah. going to do. But so we kind of think like, well, God, why didn't you just do that from the mm-hmm. beginning? But again, it is another kind of proof that God always wants to operate alongside human yes. beings. That's how he wants to do things. And it is us that frustrate that purpose or that plan. It is not God who chooses to not use us. God is, in fact, looking for ways to invite us into the conversation because that's the kind of God he is. And I think taking the framework of what we kind of painted in uh, the the episode one of this series is it's because of love, right? That God wants to involve Mm -hmm. us because of love. And so God gives Abraham a son, right? Um, This promised child, Isaac, is born to him. The promises seem like they're going to get fulfilled. Uh, This is where circumcision comes in. Mm -hmm. So God says this is kind of the covenant mark. So you're going to permanently mark your body and all your descendants. Basically, it's not like circumcision wasn't done in other people, groups, or cultures of the time. But God is saying this is the physical mark of your family that you are now making a covenant, a promise with me. Right? just like maybe some of you get your spouse's uh, name tattooed on your arm. It's like a, a permanent reminder of that person, yeah. right? Um, and so that's kind of what God's doing here. Uh, but then the story kind of takes in a really interesting twist. At this point, you're like, okay, things are moving along. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the promises are being fulfilled after so long. But then God does something very strange, and he tells God to or he tells Abraham, sorry, God tells Abraham to take Isaac to this mountain and offer him as a sacrifice. And yeah. you're like, what is happening here? Yeah. This sounds like some weird pagan stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, what what is God up to in this story?
1: You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and for me, like, one interesting thing is, like, you see, if you read keep reading Bible, you see God is this person who really against a child sacrifice and everything, mm-hmm. you know. But then he just called him to do this you know and i just feel like this story just kind of uh it serves has this test you know just remember the old testament you know mm. and the tree and then you know just kind of serve this test you know first to humble this guy to make these guys you know just humble to know like if you really want this to happen you know yeah. i am the one who gave mm. you this child you know so you will really need to trust my plans you really need to be able to trust what I'm telling or I'm saying it's going to happen, you know? And then just this, this act, you know, it's just God giving him opportunity to choose to really trust God and he passes the test, you know, he takes uh, Isaac and then goes to this mountain. And then he was when he was close to just stop his son Mm -hmm. and then God's provide for him, you know, and I, and I think something
0: that's really important in this narrative that you know we kind of touched on before is that Abraham prior didn't always trust God mm-hmm. to bring about the purposes and so i in one way i think for Abraham specifically it's a reminder in the sense of like do you really trust yeah. that i can fulfill my promises to you and we may think that's sadistic we may not like that i think we also have to understand that you know this is in the cultural context of that world you know what i mean and so there are Um, understandings there's cultural nuances that are happening there that you know i'm not going to claim to be an expert but to abraham it may not feel as foreign and as strange to him as it does to us today and i know a lot of biblical scholars say you can't just draw a direct line to this but i really do believe if the bible is one continuous narrative which is what we're basically having this series for is Mm -hmm. to explain it is yeah i can't help but see the parallels in what God is planning to do with his only son, right? Because he literally says, you are willing to give me your one and only son. And what is the biblical authors in the New Testament pick up? Jesus as God's only son. And so I think they are, when they're talking about Jesus and his sacrifice, they have this story in mind that with Abraham, God is asking Abraham to do something, Mm that he is going to do himself but at the very last moment when it would cost Abraham everything God says no I'm going to provide the sacrifice for you and for Abraham it was a ram but in the in the New Testament we see that he is actually giving up his son Mm -hmm. as a sacrifice to continue not just continue but to restore the promise right and so I think we have to you know we we filter everything in the Old Testament ultimately Mm -hmm through the lens of Jesus, right? And so this story always would choke me up when I would read it because it's like, I see what God is doing with Abraham thousands of years before he ever does, you know, before Jesus is ever on the scene. But you can't help but read the parallels in the story. You know what I mean? So obviously, (laughs) that's got to be a little bit of a traumatic experience for Isaac's childhood. Um, But fast-forwarding through the story... Isaac is a grown man. Abraham has passed away, or right before Abraham passed away, sorry, he makes one of his servants promise that he will get a wife, not from Canaan, mm-hmm. but from his family back home where they were living before. And so he sends out a servant. Um, the servant goes and he goes to Laban. I believe it's Sarah's brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, sorry. yeah. And so he goes there and you want to.
1: I, I, I really want you to take, take okay. that story because I really want to take the Jacob story. Okay. I just love his story. Hey, that's my name, though, bro. <laughs> nah, I'm just,
0: so anyways, uh, I do think there's one. So basically, Isaac's servant, sorry, Abraham's servant goes. Um, he prays to God and he says, you know, the next person, if she's the one, like, she's going to take care of my camels and everything else that I brought. And sure enough, um, this girl comes. She takes care of the camels. She does all this stuff. Rebecca is her name, um, and she does all these great things. And he's like, goes to the family. He says, you know what? You know, Sarah and Abraham have sent me um, to basically find a wife for their son. And he wants them to go. There's kind of a little debate with the family. Laban is a little bit hesitant. He kind of tries to keep the guy around a little bit more. But finally they have the assurances. She goes back. And her and Isaac are pretty much. They get along. It seems like a good fit. And it's just interesting because Isaac's story um, compared to Abraham, the people he sandwiched between Abraham and Jacob is really not giving us a lot of details. There's not a whole lot about him. One of the funny things, though, that uh, as I was kind of just reviewing before we did this podcast, was he does the exact same thing that his dad does. He goes to Abimelech, uh, same guy or at least the son of the same guy as Abraham, and he tells him. Oh, no, Rebecca's my sister, not my wife, you know. And it's just funny because we talk about, like, uh, family problems or generational curses or whatever. And you can see in the Abraham family this line all the way up to Jacob and beyond of, like, this kind of, like, this tricky deceitfulness in this family, like, father like son. And so, basically, that's where kind of Isaac's story as the main character ends. And then it transitions into Him and Rebecca have two sons, Jacob and Esau, right? Right. And um, I'll let you take over, but basically when they're born, um, Jacob is born second, but he is promised to be the child of the promise. And I think that is a theme that happens throughout this, that normally the firstborn is the promised one, but God takes the narrative of the firstborn, who usually is the power broker of the family, and God flips it on its head. Which is another theme throughout the Bible, is God takes what is typically traditional or ordinary and he flips it on his head to reveal something greater or he likes to take weakness yeah. and use it for his glory so anyways jacob and Esau are born you take it yeah. out man
1: so funny thing is because when i think about since i grew up reading the bible so when i think about names in the bible i think in portuguese okay yeah you know, so when you said jacob is mine you also like is your name? And I was like, Oh yes, in English it's Jacob. But in Portuguese it's Jacob. So was like okay, Jacob, Jacob, Jacob yeah it's just like a different name. So just Too funny. funny. Yeah, just funny thing. But yeah, I just like the way you started uh in you know I feel like if uh, yeah, the Bible says even before they were born, you know, uh Jacob is the one God tells there tells tells uh, Rebecca uh that he will be the one who will carry god's promise you know so even before he was born this mm. this guy who will, will take care of god's promise you know but then you see this guy you know they're born they they're, they're twins you know and then you just see like oh my god my brother is gonna take over you know he's gonna rule mm. uh and yeah he's gonna be the king he's gonna be the ruler and he's gonna take care of not the king but he's gonna Continue with God's promise, you know. And so Esau
0: is, is kind of the the macho man, the typical one that you would think would rule. And Jacob's kind of a mama's boy, exactly, you know. <laughs> so exactly. so it's kind yes. of
1: set up already even to be yes. that way. Yes. Uh, so yeah, I was Jacob is yeah. It's portrayed as this spoiled kid, mm. you know, which is there, you know. And it, there's this bit, this story where. Uh, Jacob is just sitting at home, you know, just cooking and doing things, you know, while uh, you know, Issa, you know, he went, he goes out and then he starts hunting, you know, and then he's busy, you know, with all these things. And then he comes back home. He's tired. He was working. He was, you know, taking care of like serious business, you know, while this guy was just sitting home playing PlayStation, you know, and everything. So he comes back and then he's hungry. And then he finds his brother sitting, you know, uh, doing his things Um, and then he say, hey, I'm really hungry, you know, and then Jacob sees this, has an opportunity, you know, to kind of steal the right, you know, of uh, the firstborn. Uh, from his brother, you know, just like, if you don't want to die, you know, if you really want my <laughs> which is food. Which
0: being a bit dramatic, right? Yeah.
1: Exactly. You know, if you want my my food and then you will sell me, mm-hmm. you know, your your, your, right birth. Of, yeah, yeah. your right of being the firstborn. And I feel like that's, the Bible just shows that this is a really bad guy. And mm-hmm. I really wanted to tell this story because I grew up in a church, you know, and I grew up going to a Sunday school. Yeah. And People would tell us this story as if like Jacob is this really nice guy, you know, this really <laughs> he's not guy. <laughs> Yes, he's not. You know, but when I grew up and I st- I went back to this story, you know, and I was like, man, no, 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 no. Yeah. This guy is one of the worst, you know, person, you know, character in the Bible. You know, yeah. yes, we have really bad guys. You know, I feel like this is one of the worst person that God used. Mm. You know, other than the Book of Judges. We'll get there. Yeah. That, you yeah. Know? but so yeah and and yeah so he steals the the right but then that's not enough you know and then it comes to the time where there is God wants to bless one uh, uh, the father wants his yeah. father, like, wants to bless uh, wants to bless the, the the firstborn you know and Jake, uh, Jacob and his mother you know they they, they have this plot you know, yeah. you know like uh, stealing the blessing from uh Isa you know Isa, who is uh, I don't know I think he's out hunting or
0: something yeah, he goes yes, out, yeah yes, his they, father so wants him to exactly. cook his favorite meal, yeah. so he says, all right, I'll go mm-hmm. out and get it for you. Exactly. So he's doing a nice thing for his dad. <laughs> exactly. He's <laughs> doing what, the dad, what his dad <laughs> told
1: him to do, but was like, no, yeah. we'll just plot here, and then yeah. the mother cooks. He, he can't even cook the meal this Now his like, mom cooks it for him. You know what so i The mother cooks for him, and then they steal the right. Mm. And then the brother comes back, and then he's just really, you know, really mad. Yeah. And then Jacob has to run, you know, and yep. then he just run. And then he goes to this, uh, this, this place, you know, where he meets this really pretty girl. Well, you I think, hold on. Okay. Before we
0: get there, uh, on the run, he... Basically, he gets to a place that later will be called Bethel, mm-hmm. and this he has a vision, right? Mm-hmm. And at this oh, point yeah. in the narrative, it's not very clear that Jacob even respects or has any sort of admiration for the God of his yeah. fathers who have gone before, so Abraham and Isaac. He even says, like, so he gets this vision of angels descending mm-hmm. up and down this ladder, and... He says, surely God was in this place. But even at this point, he, in the narrative, the way that he talks is the God of my father. Mm-hmm. So God is not the God of his life at this point. It's more the God of like Abraham and Isaac. Yeah, yeah they trusted you, mm-hmm. but uh, kind of like the, the greasy yeah. trickster he is. Like, He's I've kinda... heard stories yeah. about you. But it's more like, okay, once you show me that you're valuable to me, then mm-hmm. maybe we can yeah. make a deal. And this is kind of the person that Jacob is, right? But yeah, so after mm-hmm. that moment, he flees and he goes. And his mother advised him to go back to Laban, where she's from. So he flees and goes there. So go ahead. Yeah.
1: So um, so then, yes, yeah, so he flees. He finds this guy. You know, he finds this girl, you know, this really pretty girl, you know. And I just feel like, so he's a trickster and all these things, you know. So he meets uh in that in that culture you know if you want to marry someone you have to start with the older person you know the older the older uh, daughter you know has to be the one who's married and everything but then he meets kind of the middle uh child you know from this family and he wants to marry it, you know mm-hmm. and i just feel like this is a very uh, ironic story because we have this trickster you know this cheater you know and all the things and then he just meets a bigger, you know, trickster, biggest bigger chester, which is Lab- Laban, I don't know how you say in English. Laban, uh, he's he's father Yeah, Laban, you yeah. know. So yeah, he meets this guy, you know, who's like, who was way experienced with tricking people, you know, so he tricked him into marrying, the, first marrying his older uh, daughter, you know, and then he gets to marry the one he was supposed to marry, you know, in this long, long time, you know, he just becomes kind of a slave, you know, to yeah. Even though, and I just feel like that comes the promise, you know, God promised him, you know, like Mm -hmm. I will bless you, you know, I will multiply, you know. And
0: and let me, sorry, I want you to keep going. I just wanted to look up, kind of follow in the Bible with Mm -hmm. you. And it is crazy. I didn't realize that Jacob's ladder is when he gives all the promises of Abraham and Isaac to Jacob. So this Mm -hmm. is when the Lord reveals it to him. And get this: This is what his response is. He says, "If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if He will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God." It's like, <laughs> how much more of a punk do you have to be? Like, yes. God just gives you all these promises. He said, yes. "Okay, if you take care of me, then." <laughs> but anyways, and, yeah.
1: And here's the thing. Here's the funny thing. And I, I know I'm jumping a little bit. Yeah. Nothing. And then he will still fight with yeah. God, you know, it's just like, he'll still wrestle and like, please yeah. bless me, you know. Right before he was not born, he had this promise, you know, and then yeah. he steals the promise, you know. He steals the promise with changed exchanging food. And then his mother steals the blessing. Yeah. And then God's promise, he meets him, you know, and then God's promise, him, you know. But then he's still like, oh, no, God, you know, uh, you yeah. know bless me, you know. Please bless me if you're really God and everything. So, yeah, I just feel like uh, this is the story that it's portrayed of this really bad guy that sometimes we teach. Yeah, he's some some good hero in the Bible. And as we'll see, the
0: name Israel is the name that God gives Jacob. So, this is the guy, like when you say Israel, Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the name of the people of God. And this is who they're named after, right? So, it's just... It's so funny, but it's so, I feel like in a way, relieving that God is not afraid yes. or unashamed to
1: be with people mm-hmm. that are the descendant of this yeah. guy. You know what I'm and saying? And I feel like the book, this book, uh, this Genesis, the book of Genesis has a really, really amazing end because I just feel like it, it ends with David have given this really amazing speech, you know, and I just feel we'll get there and, and mm. then we'll read this, you know. You mean and Moses? I, or um, no, no, not no, Moses. No, um, jo- Joseph, you know. Yeah, okay. He gives this amazing speech yeah, you know, yeah. to his brothers, you know, and then he just kind of summarizes, you know, what happens yeah. in, in the whole book, you know, these broken people, but then God uses these yep. people, you know, for the good. For sure. So, okay, we left off. Have we
0: got to the point where they've been married yet? Where the marriage drama comes into the story. Uh, No, you want to take... Uh, Yeah, Yeah. that's fine. So yeah, basically, Jacob's been working for seven years. Laban says, yeah, I'll give you the younger, prettier daughter. Mm -hmm. That's the one that you want to marry. But Laban, following the the family DNA, tricks Jacob into marrying the older daughter. Now, Jacob probably had quite a bit to drink. It was Mm -hmm. dark. She would have been wearing a veil at the wedding. So it's not like he's just a... A a fool of some sort That can't tell two women apart Um, But after they seal the deal in marriage um, He wakes up the next morning he goes, what in the world This is not the girl I signed up for Laban basically says, well it's not our custom To give the younger before the older Mm -hmm. Jacob's ticked But he says, you know what, okay I'll work for another seven years In order to get Rachel Now I don't, I've heard it both ways That maybe he did work another full seven years Or that Rachel was given to him and then he just continued to work no he, he had to work first. okay he had to work first. so anyways he marries he eventually gets to marry both and obviously his heart is for Rachel yeah. um, and not I always get is it Leia or Leah? Um, well I'm asking her but, yeah, <laughs> is, is Leah. okay we'll go with Leia then okay so anyways she is sad because obviously her husband doesn't want to be married to her again more family drama more marriage drama But God, seeing her and taking pity on her, because it doesn't seem like he has, you know, taken a side in this, Mm -hmm. per se, blesses her with children, and Rachel's unable to have children. And so this kind of goes back and forth. Rachel's mad. She can't have children. So back and forth they pray, and then God finally gives Rachel a child. Oh, they also give their servants to their children. It's quite the... (laughs) I'm Sure, Jacob's not complaining in all of this.
1: Uh, no, the problem is portrayed as a guy who, when they start fighting, his wife started fighting, it was like, Oh, I'm out of here, I'm like, I'm not here, you know. Yeah, he enjoys, he's enjoying whatever is happening, you know. So,
0: anyways, he gets a lot of kids, I believe 12 sons, um, as well as daughters that unfortunately are not mentioned by name, I don't think maybe a few of them are, but, anyways. He gets to the point where he realizes it's not going to work with his Uncle Laban anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, His Uncle Laban's kind of been taking advantage of him, and he's just kind of tired of it. He's ready to go home. So he basically makes a deal. He's like, I'll take all the speckled and not as nice lambs as you and from your flock, and then you let me go. Laban's like, okay, yeah, whatever. You can do that. Well, Jacob, being his typical (laughs) Jacob self, like does this thing where he has them breed in front of these certain reeds or something Mm -hmm. and so they all become all the best ones become speckled all the weakest ones are the kind of pure coats well then laban you know i i don't remember if he kind of catches on but he basically tells jacob no blah 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 so jacob eventually flees from laban Mm -hmm. he says okay no like i'm gonna go and he just leaves he takes everybody and he leaves
1: um Fun thing about that is just remember, God promised him that he would be this rich guy, you mm-hmm. know, and everything get promising that he would be this rich guy, but how did how does he get the rich in it? How yeah, does it become Yeah, by deception, rich yeah. By deception, the same thing, you know, yeah. they wanted to build, you know, a rich they promised by their own, you know, yep. own strength and knowledge.
0: So Laban basically pursues Jacob. Um, they come to a treaty, a term of agreement. He's like, you're stealing my daughters away. Uh something about idols. Rachel steals some idols from Laban's house mm, and hides yeah. them and he says I'll Jacob basically says I'll give or does he even say I'll kill uh, whoever I, takes them.
1: Yeah, I think it promised to kill. Yeah, yeah I think it promised to kill. She lies
0: about being on her period, so mm-hmm. Laban doesn't yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bro. It's just unbelievably human, right? Ooh, and yeah. so then eventually they come to terms. Laban uh begrudgingly I think lets Jacob go and he basically says don't come back here Mm -hmm. don't don't come back here I'll agree not to pursue you if you don't pursue me so Jacob moves on from that problem and he has a new problem he has to go back to his brother Esau because he's going back home this is where God told him he would bring him so he starts sending all these gifts he sends everybody (laughs) but himself to Esau and he's alone right but I think this is where the rubber meets the road yes because God finally has Jacob to himself, mm-hmm. right? He had him to himself when he was on the run to Laban, and now he has him on the by himself when he's going back home. And they wrestle, right? And, you know, with the angel of God, but it's this idea that Jacob will not let go until he's... It's just Jacob to a core, right? Mm-hmm. But God touches him. It leaves him with a limp. Mm-hmm. But it says that you have wrestled with God. I want to find the verse if you can find it for me. But um, it's just this awesome story where Jacob walks away from the presence of God, never the same. And then it says, then Jacob prayed, 'O uh, O God of my grandfather Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, you told me, return to your own land and your relatives, and you promised me I will treat you kindly. I'm not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you've shown me, When I left home and crossed the Jordan River, I owed owed nothing except a walking stick. Now my household fills two large camps. O Lord, please rescue me. This is kind of his prayer, right? Before Mm he sends everything ahead. He says this, During the night he got up um, and he was all left alone in the camp and a man came and wrestled him. Then the man said, Let me go for the dawn is breaking. I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? Then the man blessed Jacob there and he called, he called that place Peniel, which means face of God. For he had seen the face of God and yet his life was spared. So it's this idea that Jacob, all his wrestling and all his fighting and all his deceitfulness and trickery, he's wrestled with God, right? and he's not let go. And so God gives him a new identity going Mm -hmm. home. He's no longer Jacob, but he's this Israel, this person that God is going to fulfill his promises through. Um, And so there's this idea of reconciliation, right? That things, even though he's not a good human being, God is going to bring this story to completion and that Jacob eventually makes peace with his brother Esau, things go well for him, and he settles in the land, right? Mm Mm-hmm and do you have any other final thoughts maybe on jacob before uh we take a quick break uh
1: no i just i just love this guy's this guy's story and just like oh my god yeah it's so human you know yeah. it's so it's so like ah uh, sometimes we read the bible and just like oh these distant people you know but once we start looking at the story how it we are supposed to look at it you know yeah. we start realizing oh my god you know we are like that even yeah. now
0: you know and it encourages us because this is the God that walks alongside broken and flawed people. Yeah. And I think what's even more important is God is determined to bring his promises about mm-hmm. even when people uh, aren't always working alongside him well. Yeah. Um, so the story of Jacob as he as the main character really begins to wrap up here and we transition into his family life. And this is really, this up until this point, it's been the the immediate family of Abraham, so Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Mm -hmm. But this is where the story after the break will begin to develop into a people that God wants to use. Mm -hmm. Um, But before that, we'll explore the story of Joseph, which is Jacob's son, Mm -hmm. right after this quick break. Hey guys, this is Jake. If you are currently a university student on a campus in Botswana, we want to extend an invitation to you to get plugged into a discipleship group. So if you're interested, if that's something you want to do, if you want to begin to be a part of this family we call Kingdom Movement, we would encourage you to go into this episode's bio. There should be a link to our Instagram page. You can send us a message, and we will make sure to connect to you at a time and a place that works best for you and your schedule for school, but we don't want you to miss this opportunity to get plugged in and a part of what God is doing on the university campuses here because we believe that you're a vital piece to what God wants to do to bring his kingdom, his wholeness, and his healing to the nation of Botswana and to the university specifically. So reach out to us today, guys, if that's something you're interested in. All right. Thanks. All right, guys. We're back from the break. Um, and where we left off was basically the end of Jacob's story. It's kind of the, the main character of the narrative. And now we get into Jacob's family. So... the narrative kind of fast forwards Jacob has 12 sons the two youngest are both a man named Joseph and Benjamin and I believe uh his love of his life Rachel dies in childbirth to Benjamin so basically Joseph and Benjamin become kind of Jacob's babies like they're the they're the special kids like he doesn't want anything to happen to them because they were born of this wife yeah. that he really, really cherished. And the other sons know that. They feel that kind mm-hmm. of second-class citizenship.
1: And I, I just feel like even Joseph just takes his, you know, <laughs> have, like, this pride and then just becomes, you know, <laughs> it, it, it just, like, show off. You know, yeah. like, I had this amazing dream, you know, you guys will be, you know, bow to me and everything, you know. Yep. So, yeah,
0: but- and I think that's part of the narrative, too, is, like, this idea of this naive young boy yeah. that... You know, Joseph's hands are not perfectly clean in it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. like he's kind of the obnoxious younger brother that rubs it in your nose. Mm -hmm. But anyways, Jacob doesn't do him any favors. He gets him this special coat um, that distinguishes him as basically the favorite. So one day, uh, Jacob's older sons, all his other sons, are basically out doing some work with their, their grazing flock. Of course, Joseph is at home enjoying the good life. But Jacob says... He wants to send him out to them. I don't remember if it's a message or bring him lunch or whatever. But anyways, he sends Joseph out. And his brothers get this great idea of like, let's basically sell him out. Actually, I think originally they are just going to throw him in a pit and kill him. Yeah. But Reuben, the oldest brother, convinces them, no, no, no. Let's not harm him. Like, he's, you know, our brother. We can't do this. So they decide to sell him to yeah. some traders going to Egypt. They dip his nice coat in some like goat's blood mm-hmm. to show their dad and say he got killed by a wild animal. So they sell this son, Joseph, off to Egypt. But yeah, before that, he had had some dreams. Basically, I believe they were stalks of wheat bowing oh, yeah, down to is. him, mm-hmm. and then stars that were bowing down to him. So... Um, They basically ship him off. Joseph is now a slave. No one knows who he is. Jacob thinks his favorite son's dead. He's heartbroken. And the older brothers kind of just continue on course. You know, obviously they probably have a little bit of guilt eating them up. Reuben feels awful because he didn't want any of this to happen. But So anyways, we get Joseph sent into Egypt and he gets sold to this guy named potiphar right so maybe you can uh, explain the the fun little story of potiphar's house right oh
1: yeah so uh he has this wife and jake and uh joseph yeah yeah. i was just joseph in jose. portuguese jose jose so yeah so joseph. paul is having lots of fun with these names <laughs> yes. so joseph is just growing up you know he just becomes this really strong and attractive guy and then. Uh, Lots of success too. Yes, exactly. He's taking care of the house, you know, and doing all these things, you know, uh, all this thing that men, you know, is supposed to do and everything, you know, and probably spending more time at home than he than his wife is. Oh yeah, yeah, then part of her, yeah. Then part of her because he goes out and take care of other things, you know. Mm. So she just, you know, kind of like wants to sleep with this guy, you know. <laughs> and then uh, Joseph said, No, I'm not doing that and yeah. then she just plot with, you know, she just make life lies like, Hey, yeah. this guy really slept with me and everything. Or tried to. I oh, think she says that he tries to rape her, exactly. actually. Yeah. tried to rape me, you know, and all these things, you know, and then so it just end up uh, in this really bad situation where Joseph is just like this guy, you know, who we're really trusted, and then just yep. like, oh man, I'll throw him to the jail. Yeah, and then at the jail, you know, I spent some time there, you know, and I just feel like it just served to humble him a little bit, you know, because he was like this kind of pride, prideful yep. guy, you know, so it just served this time as to humble him a little bit. Um, but then these two people who serves the king get arrested with him, you know, and then they both have dreams in you know, different dreams. And uh, for some reason, I don't remember where, but they end up sharing this with Joseph. And-
0: yeah, so they get thrown in and they have these dreams, and Joseph is kind of known. At this point, somehow, as a dream interpreter, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So he interprets their dreams. One really bad, one really good. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and then one end up dying. Yeah, uh, the dream says he will die, and then know end up the dream says no, he will live, and then it end up happening. One yeah. dies, and then the guy who lives mm-hmm. lives. But then he just forgets about this guy who helped him. There, but <laughs> though, even before 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 he leaves the prison, you know, Joseph say, hey, promise me that you will remember me. You Yep. Once you get to the king, you know, so he forgets about Joseph, you know, but God is faithful, you know, God and God will make this guy remember. You know, one day the king has a dream, you yeah. know, and then he calls all these people to try to temper- interpret the dream, you know, but none of them can. They they try to inter- interpret yeah. it, but none of them He's say. He's not something. impressed. Yes, exactly. None of them say something that makes him feel peaceful. Not like, no, it's not that, you know. So yeah. and then this guy you know, just realizes, oh, yes, there's a guy who really. Uh, interpreted my dream and it really came through and then God and then the king say call this that guy here yeah. and then Joseph goes there and then he interprets the dreams you know and then for this guy God, this king who never who didn't know God you know and then he just finally meets God uh, by this yeah. young guy
0: and, and basically the dream was about a famine seven years of lots of plenty but then the famine was going to be so severe that mm-hmm. it would basically gobble up the years yeah. of famine and so Because Joseph has this dream, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, puts him in charge of kind of like preparing for the famine, right? Um, And so he gets elevated at this point to a really, really high position. The Bible says second Second command. Um, And I think it's important to note too, in the prison, Joseph was having success as well. So God was blessing him even in there, giving him kind of free reign. So anyways, yeah, the famine hits. Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, the famine hits and just everybody around Egypt is just going through you know, a yeah. hard time finding food and everything. And
0: sorry, I think it's important to note for those who are not geographically inclined, um, Canaan, the promised land, is really close to Egypt. Mm-hmm. So if you looked at a map of the Mediterranean and you know where Egypt is on the continent of Africa, that little strip that kind of connects um, Africa to Turkey um, we'd call it like the transcontinental land bridge or something mm. like that. So it brings those two continents together. That's where Canaan is. So they're, oh, they're okay. down in the southern region there, close to Egypt. So that's how Egypt even gets brought into the story quite a bit. Oh, yeah.
1: So, yeah, yeah. Uh, so they, these, these, so yeah, these, these hang, the people can't produce food because it's just, it, it's yeah. not raining and the land is not producing anything. So, but Egypt, you know, they're having a party, you know, they're having all this food and then they start selling the food to to these people. And then... Uh, um, Joseph's family, you know, with his brother and his, his father, all his family, you know, they're going through the same thing, you know, they can't yeah. find food and everything. So they hear about Egypt, like, oh, there's this amazing place, you know, where there's food. So the father sends his son, you know, he sends all of them, but, but he leaves um, Benjamin. Yeah, he, yeah he doesn't want Benjamin no, to go cuz like, uh, I don't trust He's already him lost us. Joseph. Yeah. He's not
0: losing Benjamin. Yes. And I think to expedite the story a little bit, there's kind of this back and forth. The brothers go and Joseph recognizes it's his brothers. Mm-hmm. He Kind of plays this game and he says, "No. You know, you do you have another brother?" And they say, "Yes." And he's like, "Well, he's got to stay here." Yeah. They're terrified cuz they know their father's not going to say yes. And back and forth, he messes with them. You guys can read the story. Yeah. But eventually, it gets to the point where Benjamin goes and Jacob goes and the whole family is brought back together mm-hmm. um, in Egypt but there is a really cool summary you mentioned it I think earlier maybe you can read it for us because the whole point of this narrative is that again what human beings intended to do that was evil right they wanted to mistreat their brother yeah. God had given Joseph dreams that were legit that they would bow down to him, and in fact they did bow down to him as second in command of Egypt they humbled themselves and when Joseph eventually reveals himself as their brother, they recognize, and Joseph definitely recognizes, that all of this God has been using to bring about his purpose. Mm-hmm. And I think what's really interesting, I don't remember if it's Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob, but God actually tells them, I believe it's Abraham, that they are going to be go to a foreign land and be enslaved for 400 years, and then God was going to rescue them. So God already knew yeah. that all this was going to happen, mm-hmm. and so this was kind of a part of what was going to happen in that narrative. Have mm-hmm. you found it?
1: Yes, I found it, but I don't have my glasses. Okay, so. great. It
0: says, But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And so I think it's just, again, in the biblical narrative, when we read these stories, we always have to keep them within their context, yes. right, to understand the meaning. But the meaning is also... Uh, It can be translated to our lives in the sense Mm -hmm. of Joseph could have looked at at his life and said, this is totally unfair, this sucks, I'm a slave, you know, I was put in prison wrongly, this injustice has been done to me. But through all of that kind of broken relationship, broken family, God had done something miraculous. He saved Mm -hmm. the lives of probably hundreds of thousands of people by Mm -hmm. putting Joseph in a position. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, he is in a position... Really, greater, far greater than yeah. what he could have been if he was just living in Canaan.
1: Yeah, and I just feel like this passage it just summarizes all you know the stories of all these people we spoke yeah. about. You know, they doing bad things, but at God, you know, just like yeah. this puzzle maker, you know, just like tr- turning everything, mm. you know, to 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 good. You know, yep. turning everything to the plan that He has. You know. The man fell, the man, the, the Adam and Eve, from the story of Adam and Eve, they fall, you know, yeah. God kicking them out of the garden but not not leaving them, mm. you know, going there with them, yeah. you know. It's like, I just, and I like the fact that this is the last chapter of the, of the, uh, of, of ex- or uh, well, of Genesis, ex- Genesis 50, yeah. you know, so just, uh, the writer just places this, you know, yep. as a way to summarize everything, everything that that's been happening in, in book, the book. You know? god turning every bad thing that human has been doing to yeah. good you know and that's what god does even now yes
0: and i think it's just an incredible testimony in the sense of like god again wants to work through human beings could he have just provided food or whatever or not made famine come or whatever but god chooses in this dance of like working with and against people mm-hmm. for his purposes to get accomplished and I think it's always an invitation to join in what he is doing, yeah. if that makes sense. Yes. Um, I think so, as we kind of fast forward, the story takes an extremely long fast or extremely yeah. far fast forward, 400 years later, you know, and it starts off with kind of this cryptic phrase that the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, who did not remember Joseph, yes. right? And you can kind of feel like this dark cloud kind of move over the story. Um, so here's this guy. Who basically sees the Israelite people so sorry to give context Joseph and his family are allotted land in Egypt um, Jacob kind of I think is a little bit hesitant because he knows the promises are for Canaan but they stay there right mm-hmm. and over this 400 years Jacob's family has grown and grown and grown and grown and grown until it's a massive amount yeah. of people and the Bible tells us so much so that Pharaoh's uh, afraid that they will threaten the Egyptian power Mm -hmm. structures, right? That at any moment, this mass population could flip the tables on them. And so he does what all good uh, kind of dictator rulers do, he tries to oppress them to keep them down. So he creates this law that basically says, all the firstborn boys of any Hebrew is meant to be killed. But, Mm -hmm. and there's this really cool, and this is what I love about the biblical narrative, is a grand story, but there's little human stories Mm -hmm. of faithfulness plugged in. And so you get this story of these two midwives that are told to basically kill the babies when they come out. But these midwives refuse. They, they don't believe this is the thing to do. Mm-hmm. And so they fear God more than Pharaoh, and they spare the life of this child. Well, one of those children ends up being a boy named Moses, right? So they do a little trickery, and um, basically the mom, knowing that it was going to be impossible to hide him, puts him in the Nile River. He floats down to one of the daughters of Pharaoh. She sees this little Hebrew baby boy and like any normal human being, you know, once you see the actual baby, you're not up in your castle yeah. anymore giving these commands. You have a compassion, yeah. right? And so Moses' sister follows him down the yeah. river and convinces, I love it, convinces the, the princess to give him to his yeah, actual you know, mom to I be his, his nursing uh, uh, wet nurse, basically. Um, so she raises him up to some point and then he is trained up in kind of the Egyptian courts um, and kind of given Egyptian
1: uh, identity.
0: Yeah, identity and, like, knowledge and, you know, infrastructure, all these kind of things. So you can see how God has even set him up for leadership in yeah. the future by giving him this kind of formal education in the palace. But anyways, we're kind of expediting the story because we want to get to, you know, the main focus of the Exodus narrative. So then he's basically... Um, sees one day an egyptian beating on some hebrews so they, a lot of them have become slave laborers now um that's another way that pharaoh has tried to oppress them yeah. to, to put them down so they won't flip the tables on egypt and he gets angry right because he is a hebrew and so he strikes this egyptian kills him um buries him in the sand and then the next day he sees two hebrews fighting each other mm-hmm. um and hebrews are the name of the people at this point mm-hmm. um and he's like, "What are you guys doing? You know, your brothers." And they say, "Are you gonna strike me down like you did that Egyptian?" And now he recognizes the story spread. It's not just some hidden news. He needs to run, so he flees out into the Sinai wilderness. Um, there, he meets a man named Jethro, who he eventually marries one of Jethro's daughters. And he basically, for forty years, I mean, a long, long time, just becomes a part of Jethro's yeah. family, a little shepherd boy, until um, a miraculous moment in the wilderness. Yeah which is the burning bush yes
1: and that's the first time he meets god right um mm. because he grew up without knowing about in this, a personal yeah. way yeah. yes yeah I, you might have heard about him i don't yeah. feel like after all these 40 years uh they kind of like were teaching you know a little bit more of god you know yeah
0: i think there was an idea or an identity mm-hmm. uh, as the people of this god but at the same time um you know, this God seems to be... Ab- yeah. I mean, we're in slavery in Egypt, you know, this God seems pretty far away.
1: And just one thing, like, Pharaoh is portrayed as this really, really bad guy. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like that portrays will just kind of continue, yeah. you know, till the point where he got destroyed, you know. So, So yeah, he, he encounters God with this burning bush, and then God tells him, he sees this tree, you know, burning, and then God tells him, hey take off your sandals yeah. because this is a holy ground, yeah. you know. And he
0: identifies himself because we have to remember like Moses grew up in a polytheistic system. Egypt had many, many gods, but he clarifies and he says, I am the God of your father, mm-hmm. the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God mm-hmm. of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. So yeah. there is an understanding, but never an encounter mm-hmm. before, right?
1: Yeah. And... And this is the first time God says his name, you know, because I just feel like when I get there, you know, who will I say send me, you know, and then God says, Eche, which is like, I am sent, mm. you, you know, but then Jacob did, then Moses is in this situation, like, how can I say this name, you know, it's like. He says I am, but I cannot say I am because I'm not mm. God and everything. Yeah. So that's why he changed it, you know, to instead of saying Echeh eh, and then he changes to Yahweh, mm. you know, so it's like He is, you know. So that's why we have the the first okay. time we have the name Yahweh, which is continued. to yeah, which and this with, becomes okay? the
0: identifying marker up until this point in the story, you know. God has never given himself this personal identification. Mm-hmm, yes. Even to Abraham or Isaac or Jacob, it's always, I am the God of your father, right? Mm-hmm. But now it's Yahweh. Um, and there's this idea too, that not idea, but God says to Abraham, or sorry, to Moses, you know, I have seen the suffering of my people. Yes. It is not gone unheard. And now is the time that I'm acting. And I think for generations, even in like a, during slavery during the american um, period where slavery was allowed a lot of the hymns for a lot of the slaves were based on this exodus that god hears our suffering and he is not deaf he will eventually act and move on our behalf and so this idea of god hearing the suffering of his people is a narrative that will continue to carry on even up into the modern day right so that it becomes this catalyst in history where god says i am about to act i'm going to show." this mighty power of the world, that who I am. I'm about to step onto the stage like I haven't yet. And he asked Moses of all people, right, to be a part of this. Yeah. And Moses, I think, like most of us, are uh, more realistic here. like, no, nope, not going to do it. <laughs> it's not me. No. And he comes up with a whole list of excuses. Yeah. He says, you know, I can't speak well. No, I'm not bold. The people won't listen to me. You know, I already have a bad rep with uh, Egypt. But God says, I am sending you. You're going to go. <laughs> yes. And he gives him some caveats. So he says, okay, you can bring Aaron with you, you know what I mean, to help you. But God says, You're the one I've chosen, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, There's this great book called The Bush Always Burns by um, Heath Adamson. And basically the whole premise is there are holy moments, moments to encounter this God named Yahweh uh, everywhere. Mm -hmm. If we would just turn and look aside, because it says that Moses turned and saw the bush burning. and I thought it was a, a great idea because it doesn't tell us how long the bush was burning, yeah. but it was Moses who was willing to turn and look aside and enter into the presence of God. And so the part of that calling is that Moses was willing to stop and see the presence of God yeah. and, and look. And so to kind of fast forward a little bit, Moses eventually agrees. There's this weird story where he hasn't circumcised his son, mm-hmm. keeping with the promises. You know, you wonder if a little bit of a Egyptian influence has rubbed off on him, but God's about to kill him. Mm-hmm. And his wife circumcises their son and touches Moses' feet with it or something. It's just there's an idiom there, there's a cultural whatever. I've listened to it, I've completely forgot what that story is really all about, besides God being angry that he hasn't fulfilled his covenant yeah. uh, as a people of God or as a child of God. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But anyways, after that gets done with, Moses goes to Egypt and he starts, he goes into Pharaoh's court and he basically yeah. <laughs> walks up with a lot of cojones and he says, you're going to let God's people go. Yeah. And Pharaoh obviously scoffs and he says, uh, no, I'm not. And There's this kind of, this battle, he puts his staff down and turns into a snake. Pharaoh's uh, magicians do the same thing, but Moses' snake gobbles up theirs, right? Yeah. And then there, go ahead.
1: Yeah, and I just feel like This story, the story of Moses is kind of like you have to read this story as this guy who's at least for this first part, you know, who is like kind of this human being who is so connected to God's purpose, you know, Mm. who is so willing to do God's will, you know, that the, the narrative, you know, start kind of mixing him you know, with mm. God, you know, like, and then sometimes it, God says this, you know, but then sometimes God says this, but then it's Moses Moise, it's saying it, you yeah. know. So just like, is it Moses? Is it God and everything, you know? And I just, I just feel like this brings the this image like mm. what happened when God and human being come together and then they work, you know, has this team, yeah. you know, and then you get confused, you know, you get yeah. this confusion like, oh, is it God? Is it the person? You know? Yeah. So just I just feel like this the, this story brings that that idea of what happens when That's a great point. There's yeah. a connection between God yeah. and human being. And
0: up until the time of Jesus, Moses is kind of seen as the archetype of what A true Israelite or Jew should model after he is the supreme kind of voice that people go back to or listen to or authority Mm -hmm. in Jewish history you know what I mean and I think it's exactly what you're saying but it's so interesting because the beginning of the story starts off with him saying no to God right but his character his trust his belief that this God can come through grows and grows and grows Mm -hmm. as the narrative continues all the way up into we're going to kind of fast forward through a lot of the plagues um, I believe there's gnats, there's frogs, there's flies, there's um, hail and lightning, there's disease and pestilence, you know. And people have argued were these nat like a basically a natural uh, uh, domino effect, you know, yeah. like the animals die to the frogs and the. Mm. So it, it doesn't matter because God moves mightily mm-hmm. to rescue His people up into the point where it gets to the final one. Pharaoh has continued to refuse. He's reneged on his word when he said, yeah, I'll let you go. To the point where Moses approaches Pharaoh and he says to him, you know, every firstborn in Egypt is going to die unless you let my people go. This is what God says. And God tells the Israelites to sacrifice a lamb. So they're meant to kill a lamb, Uh use the blood to cover the doorposts, and the the angel of death will pass over their house. Their firstborns will not die. So it becomes this kind of sacred moment, right, where the Israelite people kill the lamb, they cover the doorpost, they prepare, they get ready, they get everything ready to leave Egypt. Their rescue from slavery, this mighty God is going to finally act in one swift moment. He's gonna pass, death is going to pass over their house and they will be rescued from slavery and leave Egypt. So that's exactly what happens. Pharaoh says, yes, finally, his son dies. He says, You can go. Whatever, leave. We don't want you here anymore. I recognize I have no power over this God, right? So they gather, they <laughs> the Egyptians basically let the Israelites plunder them, right? That's a part of the promise that God gives Abraham all the way back in the original vision. And they begin to leave, right? And God says, I will lead you by a pillar. Um, a fire at night and a cloud by day. So God is literally manifesting his presence to lead his people out of Egypt. You can imagine, like, you know, we believe as Christians, like, God is really manifesting himself in this way. Yeah. So what a dramatic, powerful, like, awe-inspiring moment this is for the Israelite people. They are recognizing that this God who is speaking through Moses really is rescuing us right now. He is different than all the other gods. He, and I believe each plague, sorry, I'm kind of rambling on, but each plague represented one of the deities, the main deities of Egypt. So God in a way is showing that he has power over the, not only the Egyptians, but the Egyptian gods, the gods that they trust in.
1: Yeah. And I just feel like uh the story of like uh, this story of the ten plagues and everything is God's judgment coming mm. to this really bad king. Yeah. this king who is really willing to <clears throat> heal. Babies, you know, it was willing to just kill all these babies, you know, who yeah. were born and everything, you know And these people and I just feel like the last plague It's kind of like any mm. revenge, you know coming to what he did yeah. to God's people and everything and I just feel like we have to read this story in that sense Understand how bad Pharaoh was, you yeah. know, and we because there is this question like um, because the Bible says God hardened Pharaoh's heart, mm. you know, and I was like, oh, is that fair and everything, yeah. you know, but you have to remember, is this really, really bad guy, you know, yeah. who really, if if he's left alive, he's just continue to do yeah. all this bad thing. And also the Bible, they, if you read the Bible, I think it was from on the 7th. Uh, plague when God says, I will harden his heart. Mm. But before that, yeah, you know, him. he is the yeah. one who hardened his own heart, you know? Yeah. So it's like he chooses to harden his heart, and then God's like, yeah. from now on, it's just like this yeah. guy is just, he got to really bad situation, and the only solution for him is death. And yeah. to get that, I will harden his heart.
0: And I think what's really important too is, you know, we talked about this idea of, as the narrative continues, the idea of God's voice and Moses' voice gets kind of mixed, right? Mm-hmm. Where it seemed like they were separated. It's almost like the hardening of Pharaoh's heart was very much a Pharaoh thing, but it that also gets mixed in the narrative at yes. some point. That God begins to say, you know, in the sense of the more we become one way or the other, whether it's obedient to God or not obedient mm-hmm. to God, God either allows us to continue in disobedience or partners in our obedience. And I think that's something that's true even yeah. today, right? Yeah. So uh, I think another interesting aspect to the Pharaoh side of things is during Joseph's day, during the famine, um, things got so impoverished that people began to sell off their land. Mm-hmm. So it actually consolidated up until the Joseph and the famine period. People had proper, like, own their own property, but Egypt had basically become mm-hmm. monopolized by the government. And you can kind of see the results of it in this story. But that's a an aside. So, anyways, Israelites are being led by fire at night in this pillar of smoke or cloud by day and they get to the point where they get to the red sea well pharaoh at at this point's heart's hardened again he's going to wipe these people out he's going to force them to come back and the people are terrified right they're like what are we going to do we can't stand up to pharaoh you know he has an army and moses looks at them and he goes guys god has provided up in this step watch he is going to make a way and so god miraculously parts the red sea the Israelites pass through the waters, mm-hmm. which is an important theme, even in baptism. They pass through the waters. They pass through this idea of death into life, you know, uh, slavery into promise, Fe- er, no hope into hope, yes. right? There's all these themes that are happening, and the Exodus narrative becomes the, the story of the Israelite people, right? This is the defining mark that we are God's people. We look back to this story Because God provided in such a way that we were marked out forever, right? This is when God really lays his permanent stamp on them. So anyways, they pass through the waters. God rescues them mightily. The waters crash down on the Egyptian army um, that is chasing after them. And basically, the Egypt side of the story ceases. They no longer pursue these people. And Moses and the Israelites are rescued. You know, they... Break out in an exuberant song, Miriam, I believe, Abraham, or sorry, Moses's sister, breaks out into a song of mm-hmm. triumph that echoes what Mary, Jesus's mother, will sing mm-hmm. yeah. later on. Um, yeah. You can read that for yourselves. We won't go into mm-hmm. it. And but, yeah,
1: uh, I just feel like uh, this. We have to see what you're saying. Just see the story. The just the idea of baptism, you know, has this idea of yeah. this crossing of the Red Sea, you know, because it's just when we get baptized you know you're born again you know yeah. as the the is the, the people of god the israel these israelites you know they were born again like they all the slavery life you know it's over you know they're no longer slave they're no longer going back to egypt you yeah. know? all these people wanted them to they wanted to kill them and enslave them they're dead you know yeah. It's the same idea with now you know when we go Through water, you know, we get baptized. All Mm -hmm. the old life, you know, all the slavery that we were to slave to the sin, you know, we're no longer Mm that. We forget Egypt, you know, we leave Egypt behind, and then we start walking towards the promised land. You know, today, you know, so
0: just. And I think you know we will definitely dive into this way, way, way more when Mm -hmm. we get to the New Testament. But I think it's good to just get readers thinking about this. Mm -hmm. Jesus chose his crucifixion right in the Last Supper mm-hmm. during the Passover, yes. which was an intentional um, message by him, right? And so Passover is this celebration of the Exodus story of how God rescued and redeemed his people, brought them out of death and slavery into life and into promise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But just like the narrative up until this point, yeah they get past the waters now they're in the wilderness and they begin to grumble and complain they even so go so far as to say have you brought us out moses into the wilderness just to die right mm-hmm. has this god rescued us just to kill us and moses says he just gets so frustrated with yeah. these guys god provides manna he provides quail he provides all that they need as they pass through this this wilderness trial right this defining moment of like being are you going to be god's people mm-hmm. And, you know, it seems like it's already teetering on the edge. Um, God, there's a kind of a moment where God tells Moses to break the rock and Mm. water comes out of it. And then God tells Moses to speak to the rock, Mm. but Moses decides to break it. And so back in my university days, my final semester, I actually got to take like a three-week trip to Israel, to the Holy Land. And we went to the Sinai wilderness. And one of the really, really unique things about that is... The location of where Moses is in those two stories. So when God tells him to break it, when God tells him to speak, the this is where geography comes into play. That's so interesting. Where God tells Moses to break the rock, the rock there in that region is super solid. Like there would be no water inside of it. It's solid rock. Mm. But when the water breaks there, or when the rock breaks, there is water when God tells Moses to speak to the rock, it's actually this kind of hollow sandstone that actually is known for holding in water. And so God is trying to show his people through those two moments, it's me who's providing. It's not your natural territory. It's me who is providing what you need in the wilderness. But because Moses disobeys, basically goes through his own power, right? Again, the story of Abraham, story of Adam and Eve, the story of Jacob, trying to do things on their own. That's part of the reason why God later on in the story doesn't let Moses enter yes, the promised yeah. land because that that sin that whatever you want to call it that human condition that still slightly doesn't trust God in the moments you know <laughs> even Moses has seen God miraculously act he trusts God to part the Red Seas but in the water break or speaking to the rock he acts in anger instead of obedience to God but anyways so the get to Mount Sinai which is where God, Originally revealed himself to Moses, and this is the defining moment. This is the moment where God is going to put His stamp on His people, right? Yes. So, um, basically, He calls up uh, Moses up to the mountain. He gives him the Ten Commandments. He also gives him other commandments to give to the people. But He basically tells them, prepare themselves, consecrate themselves, because they are about to encounter a holy God Mm -hmm. at this. And I think this idea of holiness is so interesting because in the garden, holiness still existed, right? Yeah. But because of Adam and Eve's innocence, mm-hmm. they didn't need all these procedures to come before a holy God because they themselves were already holy, right? They didn't need anything yeah. to make them holy. But because of this taint, because of this human condition, there is now a separation between a holy God and his people that has to be um, met before they can meet face-to-face again, right? And so God tells them to consecrate themselves, not to have sex, not to do all these other things, and not to go on the mountain, not even let an animal touch his mountain until he says so. So during all this, Moses is gone for a while, Mm -hmm. speaking with God, (laughs) <laughs> i just laugh because i'm like bro this story
1: oh yeah
0: so you want to say
1: it <laughs> so yeah um maybe uh one thing i've learned this week i think it was this week or last week uh about this this story you know just like uh i know i'm getting a little bit ahead but yeah i just learned that it's better to start ba uh, planting your foundation what? Mm. So, because, you know, you get there and you have to go back to all Yeah. It, you know. But the, the story of the the, the, the mountain Sinai, you know, and all the Ten Commandments, you know, it's just God starting to give them, kind of like, this is the new life. This is the life that yep. we will be living, you know. And this is how you guys are supposed to live from now on, you know. Mm. And then you take that, To the mountain sermon, you know. It's Jesus Christ in this mountain, just like in the same, 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 you know, just saying like, yes, this is the new way of life. Mm -hmm. This is how God is supposed to live. So it was just really cool to see these two parallels, yeah, and everything. So it was cool to learn about And talking about the Ten Commandments, redefining.
0: But anyways, yeah. yeah. So we get to this point, the Israelites... Basically, from my understanding, it's not that the Israelites wanted a new God at this Mm -hmm. point, but they needed, because of their cultural conditioning, they wanted a representation of who God was. Mm -hmm. Basically, this is where it gets so fascinating is they don't recognize anymore that they are God's image. God is calling them to be his image in the world, but they want an image of God that they can worship. Mm -hmm. So they have Aaron put together this golden bowl and, you know... Moses comes down and he's like, "God, Gu- guys, what are you doing?" Right? Yep. He's just ticked. He breaks the Ten Commandment stones. Aaron's like, "Well, you know, they were getting upset. I don't know what I was yeah, supposed I to do." Like. And Moses is just shaking his head at this point. He rebukes the people. He destroys the bull. Um, and God, you know, says basically says, "I'm, I'm going to abandon these people. Yeah. They, they are already, you know, I got them through the wilderness. I did this miraculous act." In Exodus, and they're already unfaithful, Mm -hmm. and he's like, "No, no, no, God, don't abandon them. These are your people, please." And again, we see that moment, like Abraham over Sodom and Gomorrah, and God says, "Okay, we're gonna keep doing this." Mm -hmm. But you can already you get the sense of like the human rescue plan. God is calling these people to be the people of His rescue mission, Mm -hmm. but already they're failing at this. So through the giving of the law through, God literally calls them a priestly nation Mm -hmm. so with this idea of priestly nation this is super important, especially when we get into the New Testament but understanding Israel's role clearly Israel was not special or remarkable when it comes to people whether it be talent or skill or even faithfulness to God, but God is calling them as a distinct people to be his representatives to the world, to be a blessing to the nations, which is a part of the promise God gives to Abraham. Your seed will be a blessing to the nations, Mm -hmm. not just to yourself, but you will be a blessing to all Mm -hmm. people, uh, which is something we should've talked about earlier. But it comes to a culmination at this point. Now God is saying to the Israelites, you are meant to be a priestly nation. A priest was someone who represented people before God. So the priest would go into the temple as a holy, consecrated person to represent the rest of the people on... So basically being the, the representation of the people to God. So they, Israel is meant to be a nation that represents God on behalf of the other nations. Does that make sense? So we get to this place where God is calling them to be these people. So in order to be a priestly nation... They need to be holy, they need to be consecrated, they need to be distinguished from the rest of the nations. So God begins to give them laws about what they dress like, what they look like, what they eat, how they interact with each other. And it's distinctly meant to create a people that are distinct from the nations so that People can recognize that there's something different in them. And I think that's really important because we get kind of caught up. Like, why did God say don't mix threads? Or Mm -hmm. why did God, you know? And we kind of take that as like arguments today. Like, oh, you know, don't mix your clothing, like the material of your clothing. And that's right next to homosexuality. And we kind of like say, well, are they the same things? Well, clearly not. God is calling them to be a distinct people. Mm -hmm. And so for the Israelites, they were meant to have these distinct qualities, even the way that they looked.
1: Yeah, and even the way like with with other people, you know, God tells them, mm-hmm. you know, you have to love all these people, you know, all these these people yeah. from outside, you know, you are really different, you know, you. When someone comes, you know, you have to receive them, and yep. and if they were willing to go through all this, you know, you have to circumcise them and then yeah. receive them as a part of this big family, you know, not just treat them as slave and not just mm-hmm. treat them as really these people and everything even for even the slaves you know you have to treat them you know you have to give them freedom you know the choice yeah. for them to choose if they want to yeah. be free or not the
0: year of jubilee exactly. getting rid of debts mm-hmm. but i think in order to maybe this is such a dense and important yes. moment in the biblical narrative because this is where really the story takes mm-hmm. off as the israelite people and the rest of the bible um, but i think to expedite the process we We just basically had to get this idea that God is creating a distinct people for himself to represent to the nations, right? But in order to be distinct, they have to be holy. Mm -hmm. Because the whole purpose is God's intention from the beginning was to dwell with people. So in the garden, he made a garden that he could dwell in with people. Mm -hmm. And so now he is almost, it's a recreating of that garden In a distinct people, just like the garden was a distinct place Mm -hmm. meant to go to the rest of the world. Israel is now a distinct people meant to share this hope with the rest of the world. And even the tabernacle, which will become the place that God dwells, travels with them, is in the middle of the camp. And all of the instructions, all of the like artwork that decorates it is garden artwork. Mm -hmm. It's a meant to call back to this Garden of Eden that this is where God's presence will dwell. But in order to enter that presence now, whereas before we could enter freely, right, we have to the Israelite people have to consecrate themselves. Mm, they have yeah. to do all these special things in order to basically sanitize themselves in order to enter into God's holy presence, yeah. right?
1: And and one thing that I really I really like I I'd like to do is just I, I think they will this will serve as the homework for our listener, you know, Great. just like, go ahead and read uh, Exodus 25 and Genesis 2. And mm-hmm. then read with this idea, like, I am looking in the Exodus 20, 25, which is the description of the tabernacle, you know, what are the things God is telling them to yeah. put in this place that you can find in the, garden, in the yeah. garden, you know, and then you'll find the idea of menorah, you know, this mm. big, uh, lamp, you know, with all these yeah. these things, you know, coming, the light and everything. And then the menorah is like kind of the representation of the tree of life, mm. you know, and everything. So just to, to all our listeners, just go read Exodus yeah. 25 and then Genesis 2, yeah. and then try to look in Exodus 25 the things in the uh, Garden of Eden. Yeah.
0: And I think let's end on these kind of last two things because, uh, yeah, I think we've gone quite a bit long. Yeah. But the tabernacle now becomes where the garden of eden was a let's say heaven and earth place so Mm -hmm. heaven is the realm and reality in which god dwells Mm -hmm. right it is the space that he operates from i think we have to get that clear when we talk about heaven just like jacob and the ladder it was like a curtain was revealed right where he saw the heavenly reality going on Mm -hmm. um in his earthly space Mm -hmm. so the tabernacle becomes this distinct place an overlapping place where the presence and the rule and reign of God can dwell Mm -hmm. in the earthly reality, right? So when the Israelites walked into the tabernacle, it wasn't like um, they just thought they were walking into a tent. Mm -hmm. They really truly believed it was a space where God's reality, God's presence would fill their reality, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So the tabernacle becomes this moving space among God's people where his presence and their presence can meet, right? Yeah. And I think that becomes really, really important when we look at the person of Jesus. And we'll get into that, mm-hmm. but even John says that he, when Jesus came into the world, he pitched his tent of flesh among us. Mm-hmm. And that's a callback to the tabernacle, right? Mm-hmm. This heaven and earth reality that is overlapping. Yeah. So, and, yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah, and something funny, uh, I don't know if I'm, I'm cutting you off, but yeah, something funny is like you look, uh, you read the story I think it's in Leviticus you know and then after they after they have this amazing guy in Exodus I think at the end of Exodus you know mm-hmm. he has these big great great skills you know to build everything that is needed you know and then they start placing it and then they God tells them to consecrate you know the, 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 the tabernacle in these yeah. seven days you know mm-hmm. seven days seven yeah. speeches and everything wow. you know? six speeches and then in yeah. the seventh days there's the rest you know yeah. so you have this idea of recreation you know yeah. coming mm-hmm. you know like coming and happening you know in this small place in this portable you know yep. place you know and the story of the recreation and then what happened on out, right after that you know we have these people who were supposed to get in there you know supposed to get in there yeah. and being holy and everything they just are drunk and then they go in there you know just exactly what I do you know <sighs> yeah oh.
0: and so you see these themes like the Bible is one narrative story I mean that's the whole reason why we're doing this story uh, this biblical story series because we want our listeners to see like This is a narrative thread that runs throughout Mm -hmm. the whole thing. It's not separated stories, It's just not random ideas or like moral Mm -hmm. tales or fables that people should listen to and reflect. There is that a part of the story. But the reality is, is that the Garden of Eden, the creative God intends to dwell with his people. Mm -hmm. How is that going to happen? And so to really fast forward the rest of kind of the story leading up into Judges and the book of Joshua um, they finally get to the Promised Land. They sent spies out. People were afraid to get into the Promised Land. They didn't trust God to provide for them, so He makes that generation die off in the wilderness mm-hmm. for forty years. But Abraham finally gets to look at the Promised Land. But there's kind of this sorrow. Or sorry, I keep saying Abraham. What I mean is Moses. Yeah. Moses looks into the Promised Land, but he can't enter in. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so the leadership is handed off to a man named Joshua, who is kind of like. Uh, Moses' right-hand man through this whole process. And so Joshua is left with the task of entering the promised land, Mm -hmm. right? To taking this land for the people of God that has been promised to them. But the story kind of leaves this kind of um, nuanced ambiguity of like, is this hope fulfilled or is this a fragile future kind of teetering on the edge, Mm -hmm. right? Because the people have already gone back and forth and will they trust God to take help them conquer this land and make it their own as promised? Or will they try and take matters into their own hands again? And yeah. so this is where the story leaves off and where we'll leave off for this episode um, before the Israelites enter the promised land. Any final thoughts, Paulo? Uh,
1: no, I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, I really enjoyed this conversation. And I just feel like I hope it has helpful uh, for... For the listener, you yeah. know, as it's been, you know, for me right now, you you're bringing new, co- new 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 way of looking at the things, you know, and I think we'll put this as a link uh, in the the bio, uh, yeah, in the bio of this episode. But it's just this image, you know. I said this when I was talking to someone in my church. I was like if you read something in the bible that you can't connect mm. in new testament that you can't connect to the old testament then maybe you're adding something you mm. know? so there's this really image that that, that i really like of these um, yeah
0: yeah it's like a trillion threads connecting the old exactly. testament exactly yeah. just
1: so like how yeah. everything is all connected so it's a really cool image that we will yeah. put in the bios but yeah uh so yeah i just feel like this has been a really great uh conversation and yeah. i enjoyed it so much definitely all right, guys, we'll wrap it up just because we know this one has
0: run a bit long. Yeah. But the Exodus narrative is a really, really important one to, to keep in mind as we go forward. But uh, until next time. Yes. Until next right. time, Bye. Hey, everyone. This is just a brief reminder that if you've had a question come up from this discussion or you just have a question in general that you want to ask us on the podcast, uh, now is the time to do it. We want to make sure that we get these questions in for the end of the season. Q and R. Uh, And we cannot wait to hear your guys' questions, to read them, and to be able to respond. But we can't do that unless you send them to us. So make sure if you're a part of Kingdom Movement already, you can personally message us your question. Or you can send them via our Instagram. And we will make sure to read those. And hopefully, we will answer your question on the season finale question and answer uh, question and response episode. All right. Thanks, guys.